Thank you for listening to the sermons here at Ascension Lutheran Church. Our worship services happen on Sunday mornings. 8.30 is our traditional worship service, and 10.30 is our contemporary worship service. We'd love to see you on a Sunday morning. You can visit us also on our website at www.alcrpv.org. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this holy day where you have given us your truth and your spirit. We ask that you come into this room at this time and you give us your peace, that you give us the opportunity to hear your word. Lord, if it wasn't for your spirit in this room, none of this would happen. So chisel out ears and eyes from our hearts and our minds. Give us the opportunity to hear what you have spoken. Lord, let there be less of me so there can be more of you. Give us peace and life and truth. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Jesus tells us to rise up and walk. Jesus gets up out of the grave and he walks out with his body and he is alive. And that changes everything. I talked to you a couple weeks ago, and I gave you this bow tie diagram. The bow tie starts with everything funneling down into the center, and the center is the cross and empty tomb. All the Old Testament, the prophets, everything led us to that moment. And then out of that moment, everything was transformed. The world changed. Everything was different. And so we see this, and we look at the way that God has transformed history. And we hear then this word where in the gospel where Jesus says, I'm going to send to you my spirit. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to give you myself. You are not alone. So here we are, looking back 2,000 years ago, Jesus rose from the dead, but he's still with us, and he's present. And I want to go through this bow tie. And I want us to ask the question, where is the presence of God located? Where do we find the presence of God located? And we're going to work through Scripture and see where the presence of God is located. The best place to begin, I find, is the beginning. So we'll start with Genesis chapter 1. And we have Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the waters. Where is the presence of God? He is over the waters. The Spirit of God, the voice of God is moving. We have this Old Testament word ruach, the New Testament word pneuma, which means wind, spirit, breath. God is over the waters. And out of this power, out of this voice, out of this wind, everything is made. Water, earth, land, mountains, animals, trees, humans are made out of this breath of God. And this kind of continues through Abraham. Abraham hears the voice of God, is told to go, and he goes. Isaac and Jacob, and they end up in Egypt through this voice of God. You get to Exodus, and then we have Moses, 
And Moses is walking around in the wilderness, and we see the the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw it, he had turned aside to see God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, come no closer, remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. The presence of God out of the spirit has come into this burning bush and Moses sees him. Moses is able to talk to him. Moses hears his voice out of this burning bush that's not consumed and this bush tells him to go into Egypt and get my people out of Egypt. So he goes into Egypt, he talks to Pharaoh, back and forth. They let them leave and God leads them then. And we see here in Exodus 13, the Lord went in front of them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them along the way and a pillar of fire by night to give them light so they might travel by day and by night. The people who were called from the burning bush by Moses are now led by a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. Now, this is pretty amazing. You see the presence of God, pillar of cloud, pillar of fire. What's interesting about these people, of course, is they're the ones who are led out into the wilderness, and they're the complaining people. They have a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire leading them, and they look to Moses, and they're like, really, Moses? You just brought us out here to be hungry and to be thirsty? The power of sin is absolutely incredible, that you can be led by these pillars of cloud and fire and still complain. Right? We get it because we're really good complainers. But the presence of God is in front of them, is leading them. And then this pillar of cloud, this burning bush, this voice of God that hovers over the waters says to them, build me a tabernacle, a footstool, a place where my presence, you can come and meet. And so later in the book of Exodus... God says, and have them make me a sanctuary so that I might dwell among them in accordance with all that I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture so you shall make it. God wants a place that the people can see and he asks them to build a tabernacle. Now this is a tent. It has posts, it has canvas, there's beautiful things inside, the Ark of the Covenant, there's candlesticks, and this movable right? It goes from place to place. And everywhere it goes, the people of God camp around it. And God says, make me a place where you can meet me, where you can see me. We are people who need to taste and touch. It's why communion is important, that there's bread and that there's wine. It's why baptism with water and oil are important. God knows that we are people who like to see and taste and touch and smell. So he's in the tabernacle. Now, Look what happens. God says, build me a tabernacle. We fast forward, we get to David, and this is the height of their power. They've won some battles. Things are going good. David gets himself a palace and a place to sleep. And look what David says. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Now, when the king was settled in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all of his enemies around him, the king said to the prophet Nathan, see, Now I am living in the house of cedar, but the ark of God stays in a tent. And he goes, that doesn't seem fair. I have this nice house, 
God has a tent. Look what God says to that. Nathan said to the king, go, do all that you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, are you the one to build me a house to live in? I have not lived in the house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent and a tabernacle. Whenever I have moved about among the people of Israel, did I ever speak a word with any of the tribal leaders of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? From this verse, does it seem like God wants a house? No. God doesn't want a house. David wants to give God a house. David wants to put him in a house because we love to put things in houses. And we love beautiful walls and beautiful stuff. And we want to have this permanent place. But does God want a permanent place? No. God lights his tabernacle. But David collects the things for the temple. Solomon builds the temple. And within 30 years, the kingdom of Israel splits in half. Because of the taxes and the way that Solomon worked the people to build the temple, the kingdom of Israel splits in half. A couple hundred years later, the kingdom of Israel falls. And from that point on, they never owned the land again. The second temple is built, but the people who saw the first temple, when they saw the second temple, they wept because the second temple was so ugly compared to the first temple. They know this is not what we built before. And all this time, the temple is where people are coming to worship. And I think God goes along with it because David wants it, but God is a tabernacling God. He wants his tent. He likes the moving. He likes being amongst his people, not in the palace. So then Jesus shows up. And I want to read to you, and this is um, a Greek verse. And I do this not to um, show off the fact that I took Greek in seminary, which is not used all that often. Um, but here's a good moment that we can do it together. But here's John 1.14. But there's something important that happens here. So the first couple words, kai halagas, and the word starts flesh, became flesh, and Dante is the verb there, became flesh. And here's the word I want you to notice, eskoinosin. What is happening in that word? Um, let me show you. All of a sudden, I lost my little place here. So that word is from this Greek verb, sekenoio. And this word, John grabs specifically. Remember what we just talked about with God's desire to have a tabernacle amongst his people? This word, when defined, says this. To fix one's tabernacle, to have one's tabernacle abide or live in a tabernacle. What verse is this from? It's from John 1, 14, where what God says, and the word became flesh and lived among us. The word lived is that word tabernacle. And the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. What's John doing? John's pointing to Jesus and saying, Jesus, the one who walked around, is the tabernacle where you met God. 
He is the embodied one. He is the one where God chooses to dwell. So you can say, and lived among us. The message says, and he moved into the neighborhood, and we have seen his glory. We've seen the glory of God. So where does God dwell? He doesn't dwell in a tabernacle anymore. Instead, he dwells in Jesus. So then Jesus goes walking by the temple, In John chapter 2, he goes walking by the temple and he looks at the temple and points to the temple and says, you tear that temple down and in three days, I'll rebuild it. And they said, it took us 47 years to build that temple. You think you can build it in three days? But he's not talking about the temple where God dwells. He's talking about himself. And the disciples remembered, oh yeah, he said that in three days, he would get up and rise. So the the moving God, the God of the burning bush, the God of the pillar of cloud and pillar of fire, the God who created everything was located in a tabernacle. John says that tabernacle became Christ and he dwelt among us. And so here we are at the center of the bow tie, God dwelling among us. But then Jesus just says, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm still with you. So where is he? Is he walking around somewhere and we still have yet to find him? Or is he in a building trapped in Jerusalem somewhere? Well, no. What the scriptures say is pretty clear and absolutely amazing. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says this, So then putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another another, and members of the body of Christ in Romans 7 chapter verse 4 in the same way my friends you have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to one another to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God Paul says you are the body of Christ God's holy spirit has dwelt among us has filled us up so that together everyone in this room we are the body of Christ. God doesn't dwell in a building. God doesn't dwell in a tabernacle. God dwells in you. He has chosen you. And you are a part of his body. And Paul's very serious about this. He doesn't use it like an illustration or a simile. Well, you know, like a body. No, you are the body. When someone hears your voice of forgiveness, they're hearing the voice of forgiveness of Christ. When you serve someone out of love and compassion and give them a warm meal or a hug or um, pray for them, you are the body of Christ doing that work. So when God meets us, when people meet us, they meet the body of Christ. Pillar of cloud, pillar of fire, burning bush, tabernacle, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ sending out through the Holy Spirit to be inhabit you, to be inside of you, so that when people meet you, they meet Christ. That's where he is today. He's with us, in us, so that when others meet us, they meet the body of Christ. With all of that in mind, I want you to hear Romans chapter 12. And I want you to remember where we've been, this quick journey through the Old Testament and the New Testament, Romans chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith, measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. We are members of one body. Who are you? You are the living incarnate body of Christ. That's who you are. The Holy Spirit inhabits you. The Holy Spirit has given you unique gifts. We, the body of Christ, all of us need you to be you. He's given you a unique gift so that you can serve his church. And when you're operating in that giftedness, when you're functioning in that place, you are giving the gift of the body of Christ to those who you meet. In the same way that Jesus' body walked around and did good wherever it went, we as the body of Christ have that same privilege. We can walk around and do good. You're not doing this on your own. You're not doing this out of your strength and your gumption. You're doing it because the Holy Spirit inhabits you, giving you your life, giving you your breath. So you have the privilege of going with the Holy Spirit and saying, where are we going next? What are we doing next? Knowing that you are adored and loved by the creator of the universe, full of his Holy Spirit. You have unique, wonderful gifts to give, and the body of Christ needs you to be you. And so how has God gifted you? What can you do better than others? What unique thing comes easy to you that doesn't come to other people? You know, it's really interesting when you meet new people to ask that kind of question. And it throws most people off. But sometimes when I meet new people, I like to ask them a simple question of, what's one thing that you can do better than most people? It's fascinating the answers you get. Because all of you can do something better than most people can. And in that place that comes easily for you is your giftedness. Use that for the kingdom. Use that to walk out and be Jesus to people. You have a unique gift for the kingdom of God. The one, you see, the spirit of God, the burning bush, the pillar of cloud and pillar of fire, the tabernacle of God, dwelling in Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit lives inside of you so that you are the body of Christ and members of it and you take his grace and goodness and love and hope out to the world. And so God's plan to transform the world, you know what it simply is? You live in the Holy Spirit being you. Loving, forgiving, bringing hope, peace, 
and light. And in so doing, the world transforms. Jesus started with 12 people, and now he has all of us. Let us go and know what God is doing for us and in us. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you are a God who loves and gives us hope. You are a God who forgives us, and you are the God who inhabits us. Lord, let us not shy away from this message. Let us not simply say, oh, um, it's just like we're the body of Christ, but instead say, I am the body of Christ. The things that Jesus did, you have called me to do. I can bring hope and love and life. Lord, let the things that we're just good at, let us celebrate them and let us rejoice in them so that we can bring that to others. Lord, thank you for being a God who shows up in us, with us, and for us. Amen.